You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you. And ladies and gentlemen, it is draft week. That's right. We have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this for basically, what, about six weeks now? Once the everything started settling with free agency, Bears got a couple of the guys under the belt. They traded the pick to, to the Panthers, been sitting at nine for a while. We have finally arrived. We have gone over every tackle. Jalen Carter, Bijan Robinson, all the wide receivers. Could they go? We have talked about everything on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel, and we are finally, finally here. It is draft week, it is happening, and the Bears will be on the clock in just a couple of days. Excited to, to do this podcast. This is the podcast for draft fans, because we are going to have EJ Snyder on from, obviously, the Windy City Gridiron Channel with Bears Over Beers. You know him there, and of course, he is a draft expert. Bootleg football with him and Brett Coleman, an absolutely great podcast. He's going to be by here in just a couple of minutes to talk so much about this NFL draft. We've got so much to get into with EJ. So just want to get a couple thoughts off my chest before we dive in with EJ. Not going to spend too much time here because I'm, I'm planning on talking a long time with EJ. You're going to enjoy that conversation. But look, here's I, let's just dive right into the ninth pick. Forget talking about second, third round selections. We'll do that with EJ. But this ninth pick and what Ryan Poles is going to do is fascinating because in front of the ninth pick is so wide open. And there's so much impact as to who is going to go, where, and how much that's going to impact what the Bears do. Now, we all think the Bears are probably going to go offensive line, assuming Jalen Carter is off the board before the ninth pick. But what could happen? All of a sudden, we're hearing Paris Johnson could go as high as third overall. We're hearing Peter Skaronsky could go before as well. So if Johnson and Skaronsky are off the board, and maybe the Bears don't take Skaronsky, I want to ask EJ if those, those length thresholds are going to cancel him off the Bears' board. Would they take Broderick Jones at nine overall? Would they take Darnell Wright at nine overall. And I think it's also interesting that if they trade back, right, if they trade back four, five, six spots, if they do the big drop to Pittsburgh at 17, that has been a hot rumor for a couple of weeks now, could it be possible that those four big guns that Skaronsky, Johnson, Jones, and Wright are all off the board? And then what does Ryan Poles do there? He'd trade himself right out of one of those guys. 
But if Jalen Carter is there, do you throw that offensive line need out the window and go, let's see if we can get that done at, you know, in, in the second round? Is Matthew Bergeron going to be there? Is Dewan Jones going to fall? You know, anything like that, where could that potentially happen? And you could still get right tackle and get Jalen Carter at nine. So many things because you just can't tell what's going on. And to me, the reason you can't tell what's going on is because no one has a read on the Houston Texans at two. And thank you, Lovey Smith, for making this such an intriguing draft. Because if Lovey Smith had lost that game and the Texans are at one, the Texans take Bryce Young. I think everyone's confident there. The let's say the Carolina Panthers still move up to two with the Chicago Bears. Obviously, the Bears would have gotten less. I don't think they get DJ Moore if that's the case. But if the Panthers move up to two, suddenly the Panthers have C.J. Stroud. Now you're looking at the Arizona Cardinals. Maybe they stick at that point and take Will Anderson. Colts go quarterback again. And suddenly the first part of the draft makes a lot of sense. But right now with Houston, there are 800 different things coming out about what the Houston Texans are going to do at two. Everyone says that their ownership wants to take a quarterback but that D'Amico, Ryans, and company may want to go edge. They may want to go Will Anderson. Daniel Jeremiah thinks they're going Tyree Wilson ahead of Will Anderson. Obviously, there's the quarterback possibility, but then you hear that they love Will Levis and that Will Levis could be the possibility there. Or they sit there and say, we think Will Levis will be available at 12, so we're going to worry about Will Levis later in the draft and we're not going to do quarterback at the top. You've also heard that they may take Hendon Hooker. Uh, Peter King has him taking Hendon Hooker at 12. I think very possible. Maybe they trade back into the first round from the whatever they have, the 33rd pick, trade into the last couple picks so you get that fifth round uh, option with Hendon Hooker, and they take Hendon Hooker as their quarterback. I think there's a lot of different possibilities about what the Texans can do, and they really hold the key to this draft. If they take Will Levis at two, that's going to get C.J. Stroud, you know, teams to just jump up to three with the Cardinals. If they take Will Anderson, again, that could be, you know, anyone goes to whatever at three. The Colts, we know, are almost certainly going to take a quarterback at four. No one seems to know their board. You're hearing Anthony Richardson. You're hearing Will Levis. You're hearing C.J. Stroud. You have no idea what they're doing. And then you start getting in things like the Seahawks. People are assuming the Seahawks are going to take Jalen Carter. But what if the Texans take Tyree Wilson and Will Anderson is sitting there at five? What if Anthony Richardson is still sitting there at five and the Seahawks decide that they're going to have a quarterback that they can develop for a year or two while they have Geno Smith start? There's so much intrigue in the top of the draft. It makes it impossible right now. Uh, and to determine what the Bears need and are going to do at nine. We know they need a three-tech. We know they need a right tackle. So Jalen Carter or, you know, the Paris Johnson, Broderick Jones thing is a definite possibility, but Ryan Poles likes to trade back. He knows he needs help in a lot of different positions, so grabbing a second, third-round pick would do a lot of good if he can move back. Again, that's tricky if he moves too far back and loses that tier of guys that he really likes. So I know I tweeted out a long time ago, and I've been pretty adamant that it's Jalen Carter or trade back. I still think that's a distinct possibility. I think that is still most likely what the scenario is for the Bears. But if Jalen Carter is off the board, let's 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 play this out for, for a minute here before we jump get EJ on. Let's say Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson are off the board, all right? 
that's three guys right there. Let's say the two, two, two offensive linemen, let's say Paris Johnson and Peter Skaronsky are both also off the board, and let's take three quarterbacks off the board. So the cornerbacks slide. So if you're the Bears at nine, you have no Skaronsky, no Carter, and no Paris Johnson. What do you do at that point? That's a possibility that that happens for the Bears. What do you do at that point? You trade back with Pittsburgh at 17. Well, at that point, with the Jets and some of those other teams that need offensive linemen, very unlikely that Darnell Wright or Broderick Jones falls to 17, in my opinion. Very unlikely. So do you just suck it up and take one of them at nine? Do you sit there and say, well, maybe the team that wants that fourth quarterback, whether it's Richardson or Levis or maybe even Stroud, we heard he could fall. And maybe that team wants to jump up. Let's say the Titans or the Texans want to jump up two or three spots to grab a quarterback. Are you just comfortable falling back that far? Maybe picking up a third round pick and then taking the tackle that you want. It's very interesting. So I don't think you can sit there and say it's A or B 100% for the Bears because of the fact that it will determine what they do in terms of what they do will be determined by what happens with those first eight picks. And I think that's what makes the Bears so intriguing that they're in the top 10, but so much about what happens in front of them will impact what they do at nine. So if you're a mock draft guy, I do have a mock draft up on Windy City Gridiron, and it's different. I'm not going to spill all the beans on it, but go check it out because it is not the Chicago Bears taking Jalen Carter or Paris Johnson or Broderick Jones, those tradition, everyone's making the same mocks for the Chicago Bears. So I'm just going to tell you what the, what the basis of this is, this mock draft. You can go check it out if you want. It's the Chicago Bears trading back with Pittsburgh to 17. But at that point, the top four offensive tackles, and that's Skaronsky, Wright, Jones, and Johnson. All four of them go off the board by 16. So what do the Chicago Bears do at 17? That's the scenario in my mock draft. Go check it out at WindyCityGridiron.com. Go check it out and see what it is. Plus, I added second, third, fourth round selections for the Bears as well. So it's loaded, and go check it out. But before you check it out, stick around here because EJ Snyder joins us next. This is the best draft content you can find. EJ is that damn good. I'm guessing you're following him already at Football EJ, but if you're not, go do it because EJ is the guy if you want quality, objective draft content. He joins us now. We'll take a quick break. Bears banter, Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back with EJ Snyder. All right, welcome back into the podcast. And it is a yearly tradition. It is draft time. So Bears banter, there is one guest and one guest only. We must get on every year. And it is EJ Snyder, of course. He is the senior draft analyst for Windy City Gridiron. But you also know him from the Bootleg Football Podcast with Brett Coleman. And of course, Bears Over Beers with JB. And it's EJ Snyder, and he's on now, at Football EJ on Twitter. Excited to have him on. EJ Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little tired. It's the it's the tail end, right? It's like being a tax accountant in April. This is just the time you stay up and, you know, make the donuts. And yeah. we are getting ready to do it. And tomorrow morning, like, I have to pack after this because tomorrow morning, 
fly out to KC and and go do the for do the thing for the first time in the host city, which will be a new thing for me. So I'm pretty excited about that. Well, before we dive into the draft, since you brought up the fact that you're going to be in Kansas City, I know you and Brett Coleman have have a lot of things going on. Anything you want to plug for the listeners that if they are in Kansas City, can they go out and see you anywhere, or or what are you going to be having on with with Brett that they can tune in on on YouTube or whatever you got going? Yeah, for YouTube. Anywhere and always, of course, uh, we will have our Draftsmas Eve kickoff live stream on Wednesday for a couple hours, four to six Kansas City time. Uh, and then seven to nine, we're having our first physical meetup. We're going to Casey Beer Co. Uh, they're south of the draft site in Kansas City. We're going to be there. They have beer specials. Um, we're going to be hanging out, doing some giveaways. So that's a first for us. We're excited about that. And then we really kick into draft mode next three days on YouTube, live streaming every pick of the NFL draft as we've done for now four years running, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then Sunday, we'll be up at the Holiday Distillery with the KCSN guys, sort of, uh, I don't know what we can guarantee in terms of personal appearance. We're going to be pretty flat at that point, but uh, <laughs> we will be there. They're going to have food, music, former Chiefs players. Uh, that all kicks off at noon. I think you have to buy tickets, so check out the KCSN or Kansas City Sports Network website for details on that. But it's going to be um, it's going to be a full sprint. Yeah, it, it definitely will be. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely be checking you out as well. I love I love your stream. I still remember the Justin Fields live stream with you. That was that was a lot of fun. So, you know, I don't know if it'll be quite as exciting for the Bears uh... this year, but but I will say this: for in terms of intrigue, I love where the Bears are. It's a top ten spot, obviously. So you you, you should be getting a really high quality prospect. But at the same time. So much of what the Bears can do at nine is going to be predicated on what happens before then. So it, there's a lot of intrigue. And when you, you know, you try and keep your ear to the ground and hear what people might be saying, you also sit there and well, let me read Albert Breer. Let me read Peter Schrager. Let me read, you know, P, you know, Peter King. Let me kind of see what the other experts are hearing. Everyone is all over the board in terms of what could possibly happen in this top 10, which to me makes for a compelling Thursday night. It should be. And drafts are the intrigue in drafts is sort of representative of how many spots at the top are locked in. And in typical years, sometimes everybody pretty much knows the first three spots. At that point, that's kind of I don't want to say it's chalky, but like that's a that's a stable draft. And the instability, the intrigue doesn't come until later this year. I think everybody's OK with the top spot could go sideways, but I think. Most people think Bryce Young goes to Carolina and then it gets interesting. Yeah, right. Nobody, no two. one has a read on the Texans. Yeah. And that's where the draft will start to turn. It's not going to stop turning there. But if the Texans say Texans could go a bunch of ways, they could sell the pick for somebody that really wants a quarterback. I don't know that they're necessarily going to do that. They could choose a quarterback, but that does not seem to be the wind blowing in the sails of all the people you talked about. If it, Sounds like they stay. They probably pick their top defensive player. I think they have other designs on how they'll get their quarterback. And then Arizona, forget it. All bets are off. Um, feels like the draft should be back in Vegas for that one because Arizona's going to want to move down. People are going to want to move up for, at that point, probably the second quarterback on the board to have their choice. Um, and it just continues to kind of cascade from there. So it is going to be an intriguing draft for folks that, like drafts where you don't know what's going to happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and now we're starting to hear even buzz. And who knows? Again, any of this stuff can be smoke. And that's what's fun is what are they leaking to try and throw people off that the Cardinals might even be interested in Paris Johnson and might even take him as high as three. I don't know if I buy that completely, but, you know, it's it's out there and, and you know, NFL experts are running with it. My biggest issue with this draft, EJ, and you tell me you're you're the expert. So you tell me if I'm wrong. I love a lot of the prospects here. And I love a lot of them, if, you know, with the seventh, eighth, ninth pick, especially in like mid first round. But if I had like the third pick, like the Cardinals, and I didn't need a quarterback and Will Anderson is off the board, I don't like any of my selections. What do you think? I don't like them as much as if those players were on there. And with the team like a Cardinal uh, team, like Cardinals, look, their GM's not stupid. He is new. But he knows what he's got in terms of the roster. And this is not a team that's one player away. This is a team that is multiple, multiple players away and probably years away. So he needs ammunition. He needs as many choices as he can get. So honestly, the worst thing that could happen is that everybody goes, nah, we'll wait. (laughs) Like if nobody wants to come up for that spot and they are stuck, then they have that choice. They have to pick the best remaining player. Yes, there are a lot of good players. That's that's not what we're saying here, but you only get one of them at that point. And for Arizona, that's not a great result. So I'm not surprised by the Paris Johnson Jr. smoke. They need to uh, stoke the fires of people who might be interested in picking him or believing that he is the top tackle so that they can get themselves uh, some of that draft capital back. I think the worst case result for Arizona is stick and pick. All right. Now let, let me ask you this question here. Cause obviously this is going to impact the bears in terms of the top eight going before Chicago's on the board. If I told you that Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson are off the board for sure. Yep. And said, EJ Snyder needs to pick a non quarterback that he thinks for sure is going in the top eight whose last name is not Anderson or Wilson, who would you say non-quarterback is going to be in that group? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, It's tough. It is very difficult, again, because you're starting to guess at pick two. If you had three picks, we all feel better, (laughs) and we'll guess on the next, you know, four, five, six. But when you're guessing from pick two, it gets very difficult because, like you said, whatever happens above affects what happens below. So I would say the the top of the draft is going to be three quarterbacks two edges the two you mentioned will carter tyree wilson probably two corners and for me it would be devin witherspoon and christian gonzalez and maybe one offensive tackle it's hard for me to think that we will be through eight possibly nine picks and you know with the bears and not see an offensive tackle off the board so three quarterbacks two edges two corners and probably an offensive tackle all right, so before we get to the Bears here, you, you mentioned you think three quarterbacks. I'm going to assume that's probably Will Levis not going in the top eight, but I understand there are some rumblings that some one team may have him as high as second on their board. So, you know, that throws some things off as, as well. But do you think there's a chance, because obviously it would help Chicago, that four QBs go off in the top, I, I would say seven because of the Raiders? I doubt it. I doubt it very much just based on historical trends. The typical amount of quarterbacks that go in the first round is four point something. And that's a 10 year average. And they do not all go in the top, you know, 
inside the top, top 10. Like that does not happen. One of them goes later. So three, yeah, but it could be two, right? That would be another curveball is that only two quarterbacks go off the board and somebody waits. And then the trading really starts, you know, in the early teens. Um, but four in the top, you know, inside the top eight, I doubt it very much. All right. So you, you brought up kind of you you thought, you know, three three QBs. You mentioned the two corners. We talked about the two edge guys. You said offensive line probably in the top eight. Who you didn't say was Jalen Carter, which I think is a very intriguing prospect for the Bears. We know the three tech need for Matt Eberflus. We know how weak the defensive line was last year. And even with polls kind of picking at it a little bit with a couple signings, hasn't really beefed it up. But of course, we know all the other issues with Jalen Carter as well that go even beyond the the tragedy in January that that left two people dead. You know, the lack of a motor, maybe he doesn't love football, character issues in practice, kind of all these things. So let's just start with Jalen Carter. If he is available at nine, what do you think Ryan Poles should do? Pull the trigger. You do. You're you're yes. on board. Uh, I am both on board and... Uh hesitant but at that point if the draft plays out that way now they've met with carter several times at this yeah. point they as many teams have uh they are they have all the information they're going to have about the person the player all the things that nfl background investigators get they they've got all the cards on the table from my seat he is probably on well he's on tape the best player in this draft and that includes b john robinson I think B. John Robinson is is right behind him at number two as just best football players in this draft. It's Jalen Carter and B. John Robinson. And he's done it for a couple of years in the top conference in the SEC. So this is not a guy that like we're projecting that he's going to be good. He's good already. And he's at a position that Chicago really needs. Like, remember the very first free agency splash that Ryan Poles and Matty Bufloos ever tried to make was at three tech. They wanted that position they went out and tried to get larry Ogunjobi. they tried to pay him a lot of money this is important to them they settled for a backup plan and and limped through last year i don't think they want to settle anymore and if jalen carter is sitting there at nine and that's a need for your team and you've sat with him and you're comfortable do it like that is yes there is risk there is risk with every player in the top 10 there is no such thing as a safe pick there are safer picks and less safe picks we don't know about the Jalen Carter situation. I certainly don't know about that. Um, only what I hear on the outside. I have no inside information on that. And, you know, if you're just looking at that need, value, player, skill, lineup, and you're comfortable, pull the trigger because that is the kind of player you want to come out of the top 10 with, which is a blue chip player who can influence your team uh, for years to come. I said I was a little reticent. I've heard things about, you know, whether or not, how he's reacted to all this. We saw the pro day. There are concerns. Um, I don't necessarily have the motor concern that a lot of people have, but there are concerns. It is a, it is a risky pick, but look, this is football. <laughs> this is what you do. This is, you know, the draft is why people stay in power running a football team for a long time or get fired in three years. Like it, if it works out, they're going to look brilliant. If it bombs out, it's going to look terrible. Yeah. And look, and here's the one thing I'll say about the pro day. And this is not me saying, oh, ignore all the concerns with Jalen Carter. But I'm just going to go from a personal experience. When I was about 25, 26 years old, I lived with a few guys. And one of my roommates died. 
And I'm not trying to like, you know, bring, bring the, the mood down. But as a 25, 26 year old trying to process losing a good friend like that, and we were all friends. This wasn't just like you're just living with a guy to, to make rent. Like we were all friends hanging out constantly. And, and he had something tragic happen to him. And that was hard to process. I mean, at my age, you know, I'm 20 years older now. And, you know, and, and it's still hard when you lose close people. But that was like the first time that it ever happened to me that I lost someone like that. Now I'm saying Jalen Carter. So subtract four or five years off of me mm-hmm. and go through something like that where he's losing. I mean, these, these were friends of his mm-hmm. that, that he lost. And then on top of that, he was involved in something. He said, you know, you know, did I, you know, contribute, you know, what, what did I do? Like, that's a lot of weight on a 20, 21 year old kid to try and process. And I am not excusing the, the reckless behavior. But I'm still saying, regardless of what he did choose to do, that's a lot. And, and I heard a lot of things that he was just not mentally ready for that pro day. And it was he was going through a lot of things. The police are asking him questions. He's got investigative reports coming. That's a lot. You know, I, I think sometimes we look at these guys as just like names on a piece of paper. But he's a person as well. And that's a lot. So the pro day to me isn't as much of a concern as some of the other things that come out. Because, again, like you said, you can't put yourself in in his shoes and know where his mindset was. Yeah. And there's I I love the point that you bring up about there are other factors. And it's funny in this draft, there's another player at his position, interior defensive line, who is a complete game wrecker, Brian Brzee for Clemson, who went through a completely different situation off the field that was terrible. He lost his sister. Um and had some injuries and his tape didn't look very good this year. And a lot of people have forgotten what kind of player he was as a freshman top recruit in the entire country. Um, a complete game record as an 18 year old, like came in to the ACC and just dominated people as an 18 year old. And, you know, people go, Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I think I'm going to have him fifth. Look, if he can't get his head, right. He might be fifth in this draft. If he, you know, bounces back heals both physically and mentally, and gets back to anywhere where he was as an 18 or 19 year old, that guy's going to be like a vicious, vicious NFL player in the best possible way. And it is, there is a lot and being, look, being the presumptive, you know, being a presumptive top five draft pick in the NFL is a lot all by itself. Even if you're a complete boy scout and you've got nothing going on outside and you're just talking about football, all people do is pick at you, try and pull you down there's rumors, there's there's people showing up that you haven't talked to in 10 years going, hey, I want some money. Like it's a whirlwind, crazy experience just just as a regular experience. You add in all of this. I'm not surprised. We've seen players who've had much less going on. Kelly uh, Campbell typically says, hey, I had a terrible combine because I didn't prepare. Like I didn't know what it was going to be. He, he ran awfully. He's been a great NFL player, Sure, but it wasn't even all the other factors. He just said, look, I, I just wasn't there. Like we see that with Jalen Carter. I don't worry about the pro day. I look at two years worth of tape in the sec. And from that sort of perspective, I would say Carter is much, much safer than a lot of other prospects who were talking about glowingly uh, at other positions and saying, Oh, I think they're going to be great NFL players. And you go, you know, look up what they did on film and you're like, dude, I played four games this year, <laughs> like 17 receptions. And you're telling me he's going to be the next great thing at tight end. Like it's, you know, there are lots and lots of scenarios. Carter, I don't worry about his production as a football player. I do worry about him as a person. I want to make sure he is supported. And that's the kind of thing that Chicago and polls are going to get out of those meetings is where are you at? What's your plan? Who's your support team? 
Like, how do we feel about where you're at coming into this and where we can move you to? And if they're comfortable with that and Carter's on the board at nine, they're going to pick him. Yeah. And, and I'm with you. I think Carter should be the move. And again, I'm, I'm, I know all the risks, but if you tell me that Ryan Poles, who I was critical of, and we even had debates about it on yes, some we of the did. things he did in his first <laughs> year. If Ryan Poles goes from one to nine, picks up DJ Moore, a future first, a future two, you know, an additional two uh, for this year, and gets arguably the most talented player in the draft, I mean, how can you fault him? I think that's you know, absolutely applaud that. That is a great job. So um, when I get into some other options, because look, there is an absolutely a good chance that Jalen Carter is off the board before the Bears pick. You know, you hear Seattle, you hear Detroit, you hear all these things. So there are teams that, you know, are considering him uh, and he may not be available there. So if he is, obviously we know offensive line, but since you brought up Bajan Robinson, I want to bring up Bajan Robinson, do a, a brief conversation on him because in my mentions, in comments on Windy City Gridiron, there's a lot of fans pounding the table for Bijan. And you talked about how he is one of the top prospects in the draft. But then we get into running back value. And is it worth a team to take a running back like the Bears do? Hey, look, they love to run the football. And I think Bijan's going to go in the top half of the first round. I don't think if you trade back to 2021, 22, he's, he's an option there. So with that in mind, if the Bears are at nine or if they trade back to like 11 or, you know, a little mini 12, something like that. Mm -hmm. And Bijan is on the board. If the Bears took him, what would your response be? I'm not going to be sad because they got a great football player. I, regardless, he is a transcendent football player. He is he transcends the position, even when you look at what he does, um, because he is such a good receiver. Um, you know, an average depth of target for a running back in this draft is is around the two yard mark. Somewhere between two and three is really good. Bichon's is six. <laughs> it's like six plus. He, they used him as on NFL routes, and that is something you have to consider with modern running backs. When you get to just the running back stuff, forget about it. That's what you're going to see on all the highlight tapes. He is a really, really, really good running back. We don't need to talk about that part. And he's a good pass protector, so he's going to get on the field early. Right. From a need perspective, in terms of what I think this team, Chicago, needs to move forward, I would be a little sad at the opportunity cost because it means another player you didn't pick that you probably needed more. Khalil Herbert and another back from this class. Let's be honest, that influences this choice. This class is loaded at running back. You can get a very solid runner in the second, in the third, even into the fourth or the fifth. You're going to get people that could come in and with Khalil Herbert, create a very solid running back room that is uh, is win now in the NFC and not play the ninth pickoff and turn it into a running back. So for the player, I'd be psyched. We get to watch B. John Robinson for the next five years. For the opportunity cost, I wouldn't feel awesome about it. But at the same time, look, if you get the second best player in the draft at the ninth slot and he's going to play, a, you think he's going to play a primary role in your team moving forward and winning games, it's hard to fault that. I, I would have that little sort of whisper of doubt that was like, oh, but it could have been <laughs> something right. else. Yeah, right. Yeah, and, and I, I get that. And that's where I am. I'm in the exact same spot with the Bears is there are higher 
positions of value that are also an extreme need. And we talked about three tech and, and Jalen Carter there. We're going to get in the offensive line here in a second. Obviously that's, that's a critical piece for this as well. You got to keep Justin Fields upright and, and B. John Robinson. Well, he can, you know, maybe pick off a few pass rushers here or there. Not exactly the guy you need, but I do get if Ryan pulls is sitting there going, if we have B. John Robinson and Justin Fields in the same backfield, Good luck, defensive coordinators. Like, I, I get the thought process if they do it, but I'm just one of those guys, if you're going to take a running back in the first round, and I get how good Bijan could be, and I kind of use Saquon Barkley as, as the comparison, mm -hmm. um, e even though obviously Barkley's professional career has been good, but has had issues with injuries and all. If you're going to take a running back that high, the rest of your roster better be ready to win. Because you're adding that piece to elevate your roster from a playoff contender to a Super Bowl contender. That's the type of team. Like if the Eagles took him at 10, I'd sit there and go, that makes sense. I don't know if they'll do it, but that's that that that's a fit for me. So that's that's my biggest issue with running back. If you're going to take a running back in the first round, you better have just about all the other positions on your roster checked. I would agree with that statement, all of those statements, actually. So places like Philadelphia would be a natural for me. We're hearing a lot about the Falcons and the way the Falcons prioritize offensive playmakers in the top half of the draft. I could see it. I don't necessarily think we need to debate that. It is possible. A lot of people are saying that's they wouldn't do it. They might. Um, and then just in terms of fit, not in terms of value, because I, like you think he'll be off the board before they pick, but if the bills pick Bijan Robinson, Oh man, <laughs> like I'm, I'm about it. Like I am about that life if they are able to manage to do that, but I don't think the bears are in a similar situation like you don't. So, um, again, look, welcome to Chicago. Bijan. You're amazing. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun to watch you rip through the NFC North because you will, I hope they get linemen down the board to support you because you need that too. Well, since you brought up Lyman, let's talk Lyman because let's let's say Jalen Carter's off the board. Ryan Poles has stressed multiple times that he wants to build this roster, you know, from the trenches out and, and you know, hasn't done a lot to this point other than Braxton Jones, Nate Davis, you know, and, and a couple nitpicky, you know, like I said, kind of borderline guys. And you know, Demarcus Walker is not borderline, but he's, you know, not crazy impactful i think he's going to be a good player but he's not going to turn around a defense so you know you, you've got guys like that but on the offensive side of the ball we we can all sit there and stare at right tackle and go oh boy like that's that's something that needs to get fixed i know a lot of these prospects here project on the left side potentially like paris johnson like broderick jones are you going to move braxton jones to the right side you sure certainly shouldn't avoid a tackle because braxton jones had a nice rookie year at left tackle at least i don't think so so in terms of the tackles at nine i guess let's start with peter skaronsky do you you know probably the most polished probably the most talented of the group but we know about the length issue and we know about ryan poles's thresholds do you think they've already crossed skaronsky off their list or do you think they'd consider him i would hope they would consider him i i think you have thresholds for a reason and, you know, Bucky Brooks says that when he was in the business, the reason they said, you know, you don't go below thresholds is because you'll end up with a whole team of guys below thresholds. I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's necessarily as a slippery slope where if you take one, you'll just take them all and you'll end up with a team of guys with Tyrannosaur arms like that's that's not the case. Peter Skaronsky is a really, really talented football player. He's my top tackle in this draft. Uh, I know Brandon Thorne has him as his top tackle as well. And. 
he is you say polished and that is true but when you look at the numbers and what he was able to accomplish in college and the way that he's able to accomplish it so this is where you take statistics because i know some people are going to say oh it's just you know it's box score scouting it's analytics right it's not it's the merger of how did he achieve those numbers and show it to me on tape and mixing those together that's what i try and do i started with purely tape and i've certainly worked numbers into it because they can keep you out of some terrible choices um, and help you inform some good ones peter skaronski allowed one sack and six total pressures six total pressures including that sack in 475 pass blocking reps. <laughs> like he is <laughs> polished is one thing. And then there's that. Right. And you see the way that he does it. Um, his run blocking grade is also very good among these tackles. And that's where, when you're talking about these top four tackles, people are typically talking about Skaronsky, Paris Johnson, Jr. Broderick Jones. And then usually Darnell Wright is the fourth. Yep. Um, and Skaronsky, if you look at the balance between what he can do in the run game and the pass game, is the most balanced player. Um, he has the best grades in both categories of all four of those players. And now you talk about the length and the potential and the athleticism, and that's where you get to Paris Johnson and his 36-inch arms. <laughs> um, and he is an excellent you know, road grader in the run game. He and Skaronsky are very, very similar. They do it very differently, but their effect is very, very similar. But Paris Johnson Jr.'s pass grade is much lower, like <laughs> not quite 20 points, but 15 points lower. He allowed two sacks and 15 total pressures in 449 pass blocking snaps. So less snaps, way more pressures. Now, will he grow out of that and grow through that and grow into those 36 inch arms and, and with a good NFL coach ascend to possibly even higher heights than Skronsky? That's the bet, right? But it's not a sure thing. If you're talking about a player that is ready to go now and I think is going to be a very good, solid NFL tackle, I think he's going to be a lot like his predecessor at uh, Northwestern, Rashawn Slater, who had the very same questions and has gone to you know Los Angeles and plays that position very well. Nobody has those questions anymore. No, um, not. he does not have as much power, natural power as Rashawn Slater, but he is as technically refined, if not more so. And that's kind of silly. If you look at the career that Rashawn Slater's had so far, um, his first couple of years in the league. So Skaronsky's there. I would hope they would consider him. I understand the arm length issue. And if people are just going to hold strong to thresholds and say, we won't go below it, then they won't. And you're talking about Paris Johnson, Jr., Roderick Jones or Darnell Wright, who all have their particular foibles or issues. But um, I like any of the four of them as an addition to the Bears because of the hole at right tackle. Because right now there's pretty much a hole at right tackle and any of the four of them would be an improvement. That's a place to start. If they get any of those four players, yes. And then the Bears really have to decide what they want to be as a football team in the near future. Do you want to be a running based team? Do you want to sort of be in that, you know, Baltimore Lamar Jackson mold with the threat of Justin running as a real functional core piece of your offense? And therefore you need run blockers first and foremost in front of him. And maybe you go get Bijan to complement that vision. Or do you really want to like leverage Justin's downfield passing, his pocket passing prowess down outside the numbers, in which case, you need a different receiving core and you need pass blocking tackles. 
right. um, because that's what you want to do more. Yes, you're going to do both. Yes, you have to mix in one with the other. But what do you want to do more? That's the kind of theoretical, like, which way is this organizational going question the Bears have to answer as they look at these top four tackles, because after Skaronsky, the grades go one way or the other. <laughs> They're right. really good pass blockers and not such good run blockers or vice versa. Now, of those three guys, and let, let's let's lump Darnell right in with Paris and, and Broderick Jones. Are if the Bears took if Skaronsky's off the board or he's crossed off the board because of the, the the length issue, if they take any of those three at nine, would any of them raise an eyebrow or would you be like, okay, that was their top guy? I'm good with it. I think I'd be all right with it at this point in the process. And really, you have to start making your determination of what determination they've made. Because if they take Darnell right, a lot of people think with his size and natural power that that would be a run first move. That's not the case. No, he can, but he can block. He pass block. He is. Well, he's a great pass block. Right. Like what he did was shut down the top edges like in a row, three, four weeks in a row in the SEC. He stoned all the guys that are going to get drafted above him as edge rushers. Like that is a tremendous resume. And he got better throughout the season. One of my favorite things about Darnell Wright. Pass blocking grade is very good. And his pass blocking tape is amazing. His run blocking. <laughs> is not great. He's one of the lowest graded run blockers in this class top or even into the middle. Now he has natural power. Can, if they believe they can ratchet that up right. a few points with coaching running is less important in the modern NFL, but it's going to be a struggle. You know, if you think you plug in Darnell right at right tackle and go, Hey, we're road grading on the right side. No problem. We're set. Mm, think again, it's probably not going to be that way. That is a pass first move if they do it. I like Wright a lot because of his resume against the best pass rushers in this draft. And I would like to see Justin not have to run for his life in the backfield for Chicago. So I wouldn't, I would be fine with the right pick. And, you know, to different degrees, Broderick Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. are the same in that there's one thing they do well and they are going to have to polish that. And that's, that's typical for college kids coming into the NFL. Everybody's got stuff to work on. Yeah, and and I like to me the Darnell Wright pick. What I keep kind of witnessing is Darnell Wright is is Justin Fields rolling out right to the natural side for him with Darnell Wright out there in space, keeping guys and giving Justin all ter terms of space to either throw or run. I I love that concept, mm -hmm. um, but but at the same time, I'm a big Broderick Jones fan as well. You know, he's he's a, a moldable piece of clay for me. I think he's got a really high ceiling. I get probably the biggest risk maybe of the four, but I still think the risk is huge. Uh, so that's really the, the one guy you haven't talked about. What, what do you think of Broderick Jones? I like him a lot. Um, I've got him for me, rankings in terms of which slot they're in are much less important than which tier they're in. And all four of these guys make up my top tier. I do. I said I had Skaronsky first. Okay, fine. That is a, that's like a flavor thing. <laughs> it's, you know, which one do you like the best of these guys that I grade similarly? And Broderick Jones is right there. I actually have him at two slightly above Johnson. And it's about, again, where that specialty lies. Broderick Jones, very good pass blocker uh, right now, but has issues too, as opposed to Skaronsky, more similar, slightly better. Uh, than Paris Johnson for me. And I like the way he plays. He's played in a ton of big pig games, as has Paris Johnson Jr. Both of these guys have seen the bright lights. It's not the game's not going to be too big for them when they show up. They've played in big games, lots of them. Um, 
again, it is the most sort of like slice the garlic with the razor blade thing in terms of which one's two or which one's three. They're both in the top tier. They're both really good players. They both have excellent pro potential. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't balk at either one of them. All right. Now, Ryan Poles, we know, has already shown the affinity last year that he he will trade back. I am pretty darn confident that Ryan Poles has talked to multiple teams, whether he's initiating the call or they're initiating the call is irrelevant. He, you know, talked to multiple teams about potentially trading back in the first round if the board and the player they want at nine isn't there. Some people speculate it's Jalen Carter. Some people speculate it's smoke in case a team wants to come up to get Jalen Carter. It doesn't matter. If Ryan Poles trades back, is there an area in the first round that you'd still be comfortable with? And, and, and that's why I'll bring this up in a, in a second, that, you know, where they trade too far back and they knock themselves out of kind of a position they're looking for. Would you just want them to trade back a couple spots or would you consider a Pittsburgh at 17 or even further back? I don't think I'd go a lot further back. Obviously, there's been a lot of smoke about Pittsburgh. I, I made a comment on a live stream a couple of weeks ago and it went... Um, but it was funny in the wake of that. I didn't think it was news because just like you said, this is what general managers do. All of them. It doesn't mean that polls called them. It means that all general managers are both making and fielding calls right now about, Hey, what would it take two weeks from now when the draft is happening? Cause these calls were happening a couple of weeks ago. What would it take to, for us to come up? And if they don't like the answer, or even if they do, they're going to call the teams around that team as well. And a couple of people reached out to me and said, hey, I know you, <laughs> know you took a bunch of heat for this. Uh, yes, it happened. And they also talked to team around the Bears. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's what I said. Like, that's that's due diligence. That's what people are doing. So I would be OK with Pittsburgh, but I would be worried if they want one of those four top tackles, because I think when the first one goes off, the next four or five picks are going to be critical and people are going to realize if you want to tackle again in that tier, you're going to have to go get them and they could go very, very quickly. And you could be left holding the bag at 17 with none of them on the board and looking at the potential of picking. If you really want to tackle the fifth best tackle at the 15th overall pick that that's not typically a value. There will probably be other players they have graded higher. And if they're okay with taking one of those players, I'd be fine with moving back that far. If they really are in the tackle market, the tackle sweepstakes, I wouldn't move very far back from where they are. People like to hyper slice this and you know, this people like, Oh, it'd be better if they could move back five spots and get them. That's harder than it sounds. Right. Um, if you're convinced that five spots later, you'd love him, pick him then <laughs> because you get him. And it the difference does not it's it's much harder to consummate a trade like that to get the extra assets. Um, so if tackles a thing, slide back a few, maybe five spaces. If you're OK with another player, say you want, you know, the top receiver, say they want to reunite fields and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Then 17, maybe I'm not saying he's going to be there, but you better have two or three players that you're comfortable with. If you're going to move all the way back to 17, if it's just one or just one position like tackle, that's probably going to be too far. You might get lucky and get the fourth tackle. If you really think they're equal to the top three, but um, like you said, as soon as those dominoes start to fall at the top in this cascades, 
it's out of your hands. And if you get holding the bag and you've traded now from one, nobody's ever going to forget that <laughs> two nine two seventeen, And you got the fifth best tackle. You talked about a possible scenario where they stay at nine and get Jalen Carter. I think those two pictures look very, very different. Yeah, no, they definitely do. And that's why, you know, I've got a mock draft up on uh, Windy City Gridiron. You check it out if you want. And that was exactly the scenario I played out was they make the trade with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh comes up and takes Paris Johnson, the first offensive lineman off the board. The Eagles follow that up and take Peter Skaronsky. The mm. Jets take Broderick Jones. And then Washington, right before the Bears, takes Darnell Wright and Poles is sitting there going, uh-oh. Now so, I'm holding the bag. Yep. Yeah. So – let, let, let me ask you this. So for the Bears' needs and, you know, how they play, let's say they're sitting at 17, and obviously you don't know exactly how the board played out in front of them, but all four tackles are off the board and the Bears are at 17. What's a couple players who might be there that you'd like them to take? Uh, I'd love to see Jackson Smith and Jigba. I am a big believer in his game. He would be up to speed very quickly with Justin Fields because of the time they've already spent together. And he is, I believe, an offensive weapon that could leverage the Bears offense to a to a higher level. Something they need lines up nicely. If they are comfortable with his health, I would love that pick. Um, I think it would supercharge their offense in a couple of ways. The relationship between JSN and Fields is is really important there. Um, interior offensive line, you know, the possibility that you could get the top center on your board at 17. I think center is a really important position. I think we saw through the rotations there last year and the struggles, uh, really the last two years, what it can do to your offense when the middle caves in a lot or just isn't as organized as it needs to be. If they could lock that position down for the next six or seven years with their top center at 17, I know a lot of people would moan about positional value, but I would be fine. And if that's John Michael Schmitz, great. I'm fine with it. If it's Joe Tipman because they think he can move better to the outside and he's got that tremendous frame at 6'6 and they really think he's just going to hold it down. You know, I know Tipman at 17 would make a lot of people howl. Um, it might not. I, I think very much about the Cowboys selection of a particular interior offensive line player from the big 10 that made a lot of people howl for the first year and then never again. Um, so it, it is possible. I would say that's, you know, those are two options wide receiver or the top center on the board. Other than that, I think they could be looking for defensive line help. And that really is whoever's left that they like um, from the pass rushing ranks. That's going to be where those players start to go off the board. Um, and there are some, really good ones that can can influence games a bears could use them we we focus a lot on three tech it might not be three tech it might be more the defensive end position um you know the five tech um because again if it depends on what's taken above that but if you're looking at the second possible defensive end because i rank edges and defensive ends differently if you're looking at the first or second defensive end at 17th versus the fifth tackle or you know maybe a receiver that you're not particularly sold on. Um, and there's so many receivers later in this draft too. So we talked about that with running back earlier that again, what do you need up top before it runs out? And then what can you wait on? And in this draft, you can wait on tight end. You can wait on running back. You can wait on wide receiver. Um, there are there and corner, like you can get corners in probably the fourth and a lot of people are oh corner depth corner depth you can get it you can get really good corners in the third or fourth so what do you have to pick up top and it's that high-end tackle 
Um, high end edge if there's one you're sold on, but edge is incredibly deep in this draft too. So you can pick one up later on down. And then, you know, maybe penetrating three tech. There's not a not a ton that are gonna go high. There's some players later on you can pick up, but uh those would be kind of those are the areas I'd probably focus on at 17. All right, well, let, let's move off the first round and, and get your thoughts on, on a few, you know, Friday and Saturday type positions before before we wrap up. And we talked about B. John Robinson, and, and we know right now how important, you know, maybe they start making a, a change to the offensive scheme, as you mentioned. But right now we know that Luke Getze likes to run football. And, and they do have a couple good, you know, running backs with Foreman and with Khalil Herbert. But I'm always for adding running back depth on day three. Maybe if the right running backs there on day two, you, you consider that as well. So let's go move past Robinson. Let's move past Gibbs as well. Cause I don't think Gibbs is in the realm of picks uh, that, that the bears are going to be. What are some running backs that you really like for the type of style that, that Getsy runs that you think could be great picks, whether that be late round two, round three, or, you know, preferably day three picks that that could really help the running back uh, room for the Bears. Yeah, in terms of the day two picks, I'll start there. Either Tajay Spears out of Tulane or Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA. Now, they're very different players, but their effectiveness is similar. Um, and it would be, again, do they want to go more towards Foreman or do they want to go more towards Khalil Herbert? If they want another sort of Khalil Herbert, they're going to be looking at Tajay Spears if they want somebody that I think is probably even better than Foreman. I certainly have a higher grade on him coming out than I had on Foreman, although I did like Foreman is Zach Charbonnet. A lot of people I'm a, I'm a Charbonnet fan. Love Charbonnet. Great, great player. Um, could have come out last year and probably been one of the top four running backs then. Wanted to go back. We talked to his teammate at the Shrine Bowl and said, why did why did Zach go back? He said he wanted to be number one. Now, it didn't work out for him because Bijan Robinson, but that doesn't take anything away from Zach Charbonnet. Both of those guys are going to go somewhere on day two, I think. Um, and if the Bears wanted to invest there again, because for all the reasons you said, because Getsy loves to run the football because they want to build out that room. They want to be absolutely locked down in case of injury. Like I would love both of those guys to be Bears just on principle alone. Later on down, Roshan Johnson, mm -hmm. Bijan's backup at Texas is amazing. Like his higher, his forced missed tackle rate is higher than <laughs> Bijan's. Most people would not believe that. Um, and the other area where he's really good uh, is his missed tackles per attempt, like is the highest in this class for top running backs. And people always think of him as a pounder because he's a big guy. He's six foot two nineteen, um, and you know yards uh, yards gained after contact seventy three percent of his yards wow. are gained after contact. So Chicago fans would love Roshan <laughs> Johnson. Is he going to give you as much in the passing game? No, that's a critical choice you're going to make. If you want that, you're picking Spears or, you sure. know, you really think Herbert. But like, if you want another guy that again is came from the same school as Foreman and, you know, plays in a somewhat similar way, but again, I think even better um, Roshan Johnson's a guy. And then just a flyer down the board. Um, I really like Chase Brown out of Illinois, like as an all arounder. Um, I, I think he's he's super athletic and he does great things in all three phases. He's a very good runner of the football. He's a very experienced runner of the football. He had uh, 1,600 yards, 331 attempts, top, again, in the top backs in this class. So mileage might be a concern, but super athletic, great pass protector, um, and very functional in the passing game, can create yards after contact. And I don't think there's going to be – I don't think people are going to be clamoring for Brown. Uh, at the running back spot. I think his brother's going to go a lot higher than him at, at safety. Um, but, you know, that's a guy you can add to your room as a value pick 
on day three that can come in. He's not going to get Justin Fields killed in pass protection. And if either of the guys currently in the Bears running back room go down, I think he could play right away. Very, very experienced player. All right. So if the Bears get Jalen Carter or they trade down and lose out on a tackle, whatever the reason, a tackle is not the pick in round one. We know they've got that cluster of picks in, in round two. Obviously, it could look a little different if they trade back. But for whatever the reason, if they don't have a tackle you know, under their belts in round one, who are some of those guys? I don't know if you're you're a Bergeron guy. Who mm-hmm. are some guys who might be there? Bergeron may be gone. I get that. But who might be there tail end of round two that you're like, this guy, you know, he, he may not be ready right out of the gate, but that definitely could be a future starter for Chicago. It's a great question because it's a very likely scenario. And we know that Poles um, has a type and for the most part so far in his first draft prioritized offensive line, but did it later. Like he believes he can get these guys later with the profile. And even on the 30 visits that Chicago brought in, a lot of those names were lower round uh, guys with big physical traits. They were Braxton Jones types. Um, So it's very possible that tackle won't be the pick at nine. If they stay there, just steal yourself for that Chicago fans because (laughs) of organizational priority. But there's good tier two tackles. They're tier two for a reason. Um, You brought up an interesting possibility, which is, you know, do you take a tackle that I really think is a left tackle and move Braxton Jones? I I would love to keep Braxton Jones there just because Chicago loves to move their offensive line all over the place and not let them settle. I would love to let him settle. I think he did pretty well. But if they were interested in that, Blake Freeland from BYU is a guy that I'm fascinated by as a massive, massive frame super athletic, um, really good balanced run grades uh, and pass grades. A lot of people think, oh, big, tall, long, you're just a pass protector. He had very similar run and pass grades and a very low pressure allowed rate, which I'm super concerned about after all the punishment that that Justin's taking. And I think he's got the frame. He could bulk up at the NFL level and get more strength if needed. Yeah, he's super tall. He's the second tallest tackle in this class at 6'7", 302, um, 33, almost 34-inch arms. Um, Again, just super, super athletic, and you see it on tape. So if you want that tackle that can pull all the way to the other side of the formation, if you want that tackle that can loop out and either protect Justin or lead and sort of set the outside corner on outside zone the way Getsy likes to do it, like Blake Freeland, easy for me to say, um, is a guy that you could look at. And then there's two other guys. I You mentioned Bergeron. I am a Bergeron fan. There's a lot of people who think Bergeron's going to be a better guard. There's a lot of smoke about him moving to guard. Mm-hmm. I would give him his chance at tackle. I would give him his chance at right tackle, and that makes him a lineup for the Bears. But guys that I would take in front of him, um, Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, I really like. You think he could fall into the late second? Uh, it's possible. It okay. depends on that tackle run, right? Because there's going to be a bunch, and then at some point there's a cutoff. What people don't talk about with runs is at some point they stop. <laughs> because people go, oh, enough. I'm not taking the seventh offensive tackle before I take the second or third wide receiver or tight end or or whatever. They're just other positions of value, and they drive so far in that one category, and they're like, okay, okay, enough. Like, And then there's a break. And so wherever that break point's going to be is somebody's um, comfort rating with Anton Harrison enough that they're going to say, no, no, it's fine that he's the whatever, sixth, seventh tackle. I'm going to take him because I don't want to lose out. At some point, that stops. I think he's probably above that break point for most teams. We'll find out. If he's not, I would love for him to end up in a Chicago uniform. I think he's a a great player. 
How about Dewan Jones? And Dewan Jones is the third one. It's Blake Freeland, <laughs> literally five, six, seven on my list. Blake Freeland, Anton Harrison, Dewan Jones. And Dewan Jones is, if there's one tackle taller than Blake Freeland, it's Dewan Jones. Complete mountain of a dude. Six, eight, three, seventy-four with 36 inch arms. I mean, let's let that settle for a minute. Is he a finished product? He is not. Um, but he is super effective as a run blocker, unlike um some of his counterparts. And you know, the pass blocking, he's gonna have to bring it up. He allowed a fair amount of pressures, not a ton, um, but that's where he's got to continue to develop because he is he's not grown into his gifts yet. But this you talk about ceiling like 68374 can move really long arms already a road grader that is a guy you can plug in at right tackle if you want to be a run first team and say we got that side we're, we're good all right uh sticking with the offensive line quick comment on center i know you talked a little bit about john michael schmitz and joe Tippman. let's say they're off the board and the bears are looking to shore up that interior it doesn't have to be necessarily end of the second round, could be third, might even be that early pick in the fourth round. But mm -hmm. but who are some other centers? I don't know if you're a Luke Wiper guy. I don't know if you're a Juice Scruggs guy. <laughs> who, who are some of the guys that you might like that that could you know come in and maybe even start as a rookie as a day two or maybe even day three pick? Loki, I love this center class. Like this is a really good center class. And the answer to your question is, am I a guy for those guys? And the answer is yes for all the guys you mentioned. <laughs> um, so John Michael Schmitz and Tippmann. Uh, Schmitz is in my top tier. Tippmann's in my second tier, but it's really close. And it, again, it is what do you want to be as an offense? What do you like a little bit better? I think Tippmann's a lot closer to Schmitz than a lot of people think. But it doesn't stop there. You drop into the next tier and you look at Ricky Stromberg, the center from Arkansas, who I'm a huge fan of, mostly because what people weren't able to do against the Arkansas line. All these great defensive players, interior defensive linemen, like notes over and over again struggled against arkansas struggled against arkansas had a long day against arkansas and it was ricky stromberg got to interview him at the shrine bowl really went back to his tape after that and went man he doesn't lose a lot um smart guy quiet guy i think a great sort of mental build for center as well as a very good physical build and then luke weipler out of ohio state who you mentioned doesn't get a lot of play but he is um the last one that I have ranked, we do top seven or top eight or sometimes top 10 for interior offensive lineman. Number eight is Luke Weipler because I think he is good. He is, he does have balance. We talk about that shift between run and pass. He's good in both um, and was very good in his assignments across the board, has a lot of experience in big games, but it doesn't stop. If you want to wait even later, if you want to do the Ryan Poles thing and go fishing in the fifth and get a guy that, you know, could work his way into being a starter, uh, Ola Sagan, Uluwatimi from Michigan, again, doesn't get a lot of play, played on one of the top ranked lines in the entire country and is really solid when you look at the tape, doesn't get beat a lot. Um, Alex Forsyth from Oregon, I just went back to him last night because I was trying to do these interior offensive line rankings and he is the tale of two cities. If you want a pass blocking center, I don't think there's probably a better pass blocking center in this draft and that oh. includes Schmitz. Run blocking. Mm, <laughs> you're, you're going to give some of that up, but Alex Fortha is, is a guy that not a lot of people talk about because probably of that variance, but against the pass, he is, he is locked down. And then Scruggs from Penn state. I love, 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 love the makeup of the player, love the way he thinks, um, love his physical makeup on the field, 
Um, he looked really good at the Shrine Bowl. His tape is really solid. The way he thinks through being a center, we got to interview him Shrine Bowl as well. That interview's up on the Bootleg channel. Um, so there's just choices up and down for center. And a lot of years, you know, like if you don't get a center in the first like two, maybe three rounds, which could be two or three total picks for center, um, you're kind of just throwing darts here. You're going to be able to go down the board and pick guys that are experienced, that are physically ready to go. Um, I think the Bears have a lot of choices to get their center. If they don't do it early, I'm going to be looking for them to do it at some point through the draft. And I might be you know, jumping up and down at a fourth round pick for center. People are going to wonder why. And it's because he's a really good player. All right. How about uh, day two? And again, kind of where the Bears are currently defensive players. You know, I, I heard it's pretty good edge class. I think there might be some edges that usually I don't like taking edges after round one because I just don't think they usually pan out. I think there might be a couple in round two that could pan out. Obviously, if they go offensive line or whatever, they don't have a Jalen Carter type. We know they could use interior defensive linemen as well. I think they could use a cornerback. Any names? that you like in that range and, and kind of that 53 to 64 range day two guys defensively at interior DL edge corner. Yes. I would say it gets thinner at DL first edge and corner are both ridiculously deep. Like they're just guys on guys on guys. And I'm with you that typically if you're out of the, even the mid second into the sort of early third on an edge, you're usually picking a guy that's got a hole and isn't athletically all that gifted. That's not going to be the case this year. They're just not all going to go off the board. They can't because of the numbers corner the same way. Usually it's like, Oh, if you want a big corner an outside corner, starting corner, got to do it early. You know, this year there's a ton of guys over six, one bunch of guys over six, two bunch of guys at six, three who can really, really play. And that's rare. Usually it's like, well, we're down to the slots, right? And and I don't try and belittle the nickel or slot position, but this year there's outside players that can play. So um, let's start with Edge. Um, uh, Tuli, Tui Pelotu from USC is a guy I love, captain for their defense at Edge. I really do believe he's an Edge, not a defensive end. Um, uh, has experience playing up and down the line, but shows great play against the run in the past, good burst, excellent hustle, um, really good production as well um kj henry from clemson the third guy out of clemson kind of <laughs> plays in miles murphy and brian brzee's shadow but um has every right to be considered as as a very good edge in this class um and then um Derek hall out of auburn i really like Derek hall i i think again he's been honed in the fires of the sec he has a lot of games he played 40 games um in the sec and uh, really good production, very good against the run. And I know that Eberflus wants to run a defense where he can get production out of the front four and not have to supplement it with with blitzing and a lot of exotic pressures. He wants his front four to hold. And Derek Hall is absolutely a guy that can hold um, physically very, very gifted as well. Good size. So those are some edges. Defensive tackle. It's up and down. I would rather go high. I don't think Keanu Benton's going to make it down there. Uh, my so. guy from Wisconsin, I believe he'll go again, probably because of shortage, um, because of scarcity. And there's uh, DT is not one of the deeper positions in this draft. But if you're getting into day two, um, Byron Young is a five tech. The, the Alabama Byron Young, I need to be specific because there's two in this draft. One plays edge for Tennessee. One plays, uh, I would say, five tech for, for Bama. I like Byron Young. Um, Deswan Johnson 
uh, is a three tech out of Toledo who's incredibly oh. productive. Love him. Um, and uh, I think Mozzie Smith, uh, Mozzie Smith could be in that range if they're looking for a guy in the middle. Mozzie Smith out of Michigan um, is physically all world talented, like 323 pounds, absolute pistons as, as hands and arms can just hammer people. My problem with Mozzie Smith is he, he doesn't always do that. Like he disappears for long stretches, but when he makes plays, you're like, Ooh, so he's in that range. Um, and then you said corner boy. There are so many corners in this class. And uh, it's a question of how teams have them valued, not how I have them valued. Because they will go off in a very, I guarantee they'll go off in a very different order than I have them valued. But that doesn't mean that there's not going to be guys upon guys. Um, I'm a fan of Julius Brents. I love Julius Brents. Um, Even more so, I love Corey Trice out of Purdue, who's in the same mold. Um, I think they're similarly ranked players. I think Trice is going to go way higher than the general public thinks. Um, And I checked in with two guys who were way more hooked in than I, and I was like, am I nuts on Trice? Am I, am I silly on Corey Trice? Like, I think Corey Trice is a really good player. He's like, you're not silly. He said, you're not the only one. I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, Cam Smith from South Carolina. Yeah, I love his outside corner. Um, Quan Martin, formerly Dartavius Martin out of the Illinois secondary, I think is a tremendously versatile player. If you had him and Gordon in the same secondary, like offenses wouldn't know what to do. Cause you could play either one of them everywhere. And they're very, very good. Um, DJ Turner, again, a Michigan guy. I'm hitting a lot of Michigan guys for some reason, but I like DJ Turner. I think he's probably more of a spot. Yeah. They, they, they've been recruiting really well. Like they're, if you want a national championship threat and CFB next year, it's, it's Michigan. Um, but it doesn't stop there. That's the thing is you can go to Darius rush, um, Cam Smith's teammate at South Carolina, Tyreek Stevenson, probably going to go higher than I have him, but a very good corner with size out of Miami. Um, Keetrell Clark is an excellent slot nickel corner out of Louisville, who I think could start on day one, but isn't going to get picked on day one or maybe even day two. Um, Lots and lots of players. And even when you get down deeper into the quote unquote sleeper ranks, you're looking at guys like Miles Brooks um, out of LaTeX and Eric Scott Jr. out of Southern Miss. Like those guys are, somebody's going to be like, why did they go in the fourth or fifth rounds? Because there's 50 quarters in this class. That's why. Yeah. All right, let's let's wrap up with this because you're always good for a couple of these guys. Those I'm going to call them the day three deep sleepers. Those yeah. fifth, sixth, seventh round type guys that you've watched tape on and go doesn't doesn't have to be a scheme fit for the Bears or anything. I'm not I'm not looking for that. I'm just talking about the guys that you're sitting there going, wow, this tape is popping, and whoever takes this guy in round six is going to find a you know a steal. Yeah, I haven't gotten to do as many of those this year as I would like. And people would think, oh, you're doing it full time now. You could do more of those. Uh, it's not the case. There's lots <laughs> of other things to do. And I've had to I've had to scale that back as much as it hurts my heart because, I, you know, I love those players deeply. But when I went back, any good draft analyst is going to go back and look at how they did and what they did. And I had to take a real serious look at my process this year. And I was like, what did I get out of that? Right. For for an extra hundred and seventy five or two hundred guys that I watched, like how many of them like made a roster? How many of them, you know, made a practice squad? How many of them contributed? And, it, you know, it's like it's like five guys slim. Right. Yeah, it's like five guys. So five for two hundred. I had to I had to make some. But there are still guys that come up when you're watching tape and there's that other guy and you're like, who the hell is this? And then you find out he's a, he's available in the draft. So um, 
I'll go with a couple of linebackers. Um, so everybody knows Dorian Williams out of Tulane. He went to the senior bowl. He's highly ranked inside linebacker in this draft. His, the guy next to him, Nick Anderson is a little on the shorter side, but just a f- absolute fire plug. <laughs> like he is, he is a guy that makes a ton of plays, made a ton of plays in that defense, not going to get a lot of play. And the same thing for North Carolina state, Isaiah Moore is the absolute hammer between the tackles that everybody, uh, he reminds me of like Denzel Perryman and players like that. He's going right. to get drafted. He is, there's a lot of defensive coaches that love Isaiah Moore. The guy next to him, Drake Thomas is guy I've been sort of banging the table for. He's on the shorter side, but he was the captain. He was the ACC defensive player of the year has a little bit shorter arms, but is incredibly good blitzing the passer from the inside linebacker position had crazy pressure numbers. Got to see him uh, at the shrine bowl. Got to see both of those guys more and Thomas, but I really like Thomas. He's down the board. Some um, Yasir Abdullah pass rusher, um, on the other side from Yaya Diaby, Yaya Diaby is the bigger sort of more athletic one, the one that will go sooner because he looks more like the prototype. Yasir Abdullah is ridiculous. Very good um, against the run, very good against the pass. There's a play in which he pivots and goes like 25 yards downfield against Pitt um, rail route by the running back and like picks it off, like runs hip for hip with the guy, arm bars him, jumps up and picks it off out of what is essentially an edge or a Sam. Um, 64 total pressures like that's second in this class you know like will anderson had 68 this year so don't forget about yasir abdul he's he's down the board and a lot of fun and there's a couple receivers grant dubose out of charlotte i love him we talked a little bit about him pre-podcast um only really played one year at charlotte because uh went to a school took an offer to a small school in 2020 and they killed their football program for covid so he was sort of left without a bus um a couple of years later comes back at charlotte has a tremendously productive season um and then one of the guys that drake may threw to at north carolina antoine green i love me some antoine green big play thread everybody's talking about jalen hyatt and they should it's a very good player if you miss out on jalen hyatt wait a couple rounds pick up antoine green you're gonna get um i think a similar player uh for a great value so lots and lots of players could go on and on about the cornerback class um some of the safety some of the edges um that are late in the game um even some of the offensive tackles uh hang on I'll pull up tackle. Oh, McClendon Curtis out of Chattanooga. I really, right. I, I think he's a tackle. Um, he's certainly got the tool. He's 6'5, 324, 35 inch arms, had a very good um, pass protection grade, um, is still growing into his body. Some people have slated him for a guard. I, if Poles wants. <laughs> the crazy athlete with big length that he thinks he can mold a tackle, not necessarily to start right away, but like if he wants to put another one in the quiver, like McLennan Curtis's guy, look at him. All right. There he is at football, EJ, EJ Snyder. If you love the draft, you had to love this podcast. That's why we have EJ on every year. The content's phenomenal. You love how he cut back on, on late round prospects and then starts dropping Charlotte and Chattanooga and Lafayette and everything else. That's EJ cutting back everyone. So mm. if you like some of the names that EJ threw out, check out my mock. It's a first round mock and a bears first four round mock. Check that out on Windy City Gridiron. Make sure you check out EJ. He's all over the place. Bootleg football podcast and EJ, one more quick plug on where you're going to be in Kansas city this weekend. Yeah, so Wednesday we will be at KC Beer Co. Uh, 7 to 9 local time, having a meetup, uh, 
giveaways, beer specials, all that stuff. And then really we're going to be sort of in the bunker like we are here, but we're actually going to be in Kansas city for all three days of the draft live streaming every pick on YouTube on the bootleg football channel over there. And then on Sunday we will be up the holiday distillery uh, North of town uh, doing a party with KCSN starts at noon, former chiefs players, food, music, drink specials, the whole bit. Um, so we will see you in a, one of those places, no matter where you are. Uh, EJ, thanks so much. Thanks for so much time. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. All right. There he is. EJ Snyder. We'll come back and wrap up this draft podcast edition. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a... 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back in. There he is, EJ Snyder. That was a hell of an hour. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed that. And he gives you a lot of things to think about what the Chicago Bears could do with those selections. And that's the thing. I am not an expert on the draft. I'll I'll certainly watch tape. I'll certainly feel pretty comfortable at the top 75, top 100 guys. But I'm I'm not going to grind the tape on those later picks in you know, those day three picks. And it's thick. EJ says he cuts back on, on those kind of day three and those deep prospects. And then he goes and gives you, you know, 10, 10 prospects that he loves. Because that EJ gives you great analysis. He watches the tape. He He's objective with the guys. I, I think he does a really good job not having any bias within him. You know, he really checks himself year after year, kind of sees how he's doing, continuously tries to evolve his draft content. I think he does a phenomenal job. And again, him and Brett Coleman, great podcast. If you're a football junkie, go check them out. And of course, him and JB uh, every week during the year for Bears Over Beers, also great content there. So here we are. We are approaching the NFL draft. We're approaching that, that round one. I am fascinated by what the Chicago Bears do. If Jalen Carter is there at nine, you heard EJ, you heard me. You just have to take that player. He has way too much talent to be available at nine. You have to roll the dice and hope that the other issues with him work out and that he is that DeForest Buckner, Aaron Donald, you know, just interior wrecking ball that everyone thinks he can be. And if Matt Eberflus gets that on his defense, look out. He can make significant impact in year one, a significant impact in year one of that defense. But we know the problem at right tackle. If they don't take a right tackle in round one, can they get that quality of a right tackle in the back half of round two? 
Would Dewan Jones be there? Would Anton Harrison be there? Would Matthew Bergeron be there? I think there's a good chance that all three of those guys are off the board before the Bears select in round two, unless they trade back, right? Unless they trade back with like Pittsburgh, get the 32nd pick, that kind of thing. Unless that happens, I just think that there's a good chance those players are off the board and the Chicago Bears are going to have to be looking at someone else. EJ brought up Freeland. I had Freeland in an article, uh, you know, over the weekend about a, a tackle worth looking at on a, on a Friday night. You know, what could the Bears do there? It, a lot, a lot is going to be, you know, the Bears have a lot of needs, right? We know they need a cornerback. They need one still. They don't have enough there in the secondary. We know they need some interior defensive line help. We know they need an edge. They might even need two edges. We know they need a tackle. We know they need an interior offensive lineman. They could use another wide receiver. They don't need one right now. They could use another running back. They don't need one right now. They could use another tight end. They don't need one right now. But that's the thing. They have so little depth and so many holes that there's not too many positions that polls would take where you'd scratch your head. Like maybe linebacker, right? That's about it because they invested so much money in linebacker at this point. They, they take a linebacker in round two. We're going to sit there and go, really? Well, what are they doing here? But other than that, you know, linebacker and quarterback, pretty much the only positions, maybe safety, that, that just don't make sense. And obviously you get to round five, six, seven, something like that. And, you know, take the best player available. All bets are off in terms of position. So that was a great conversation with EJ. I am looking forward to it. You're going to hear me doing podcasts throughout Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. A lot with Jacob Infante breaking down draft prospects as the Bears select players. Looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be doing live streams on the Second City Gridiron YouTube channel. So make sure you're you're tuned into those. And, and those podcasts, obviously, we will be going up as soon as possible on the Witty City Gridiron podcast channel. So bear down, everybody. It's going to be a hell of a week. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.